Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, have any of you ever picked a daisy and done the, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me. Anybody else done that besides me? Yeah. Usually you have somebody in mind while you're doing it. You know, you've got this girl that you're, you're thinking about, this guy you're thinking about, and, and your ears like, you know, you're pulling those little petals off and you're hoping. I don't know if any of you counted the petals before to see if how it was going to come out, you know. But, uh, you know, we do the he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And some of that is based on insecurity. Not really knowing, but hoping that someone loves you. And many times we get those feelings of insecurities about our relationship with God. And it's not unusual for all of us to have, you know, bouts of insecurity in that relationship, because we don't often fill the bill when it comes to being the kind of person that the Bible says we should be becoming when we receive the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. And so because we are not living like a Christian sometimes, we don't feel like a Christian and therefore insecurity kind of rises to the surface and we say, does God still love me? And you might have been raised in a home that was very strict. A lot, a lot of rules laid down. And you felt like you really weren't being loved by your parents unless you were towing the mark. You were filling the bill. You know, you, you were really doing what they expected you to do. And when you failed, there was anger. There was maybe punishment. And so then you start wondering, do they even love me? So we've all had that, that experience, that feeling of, of hoping that we're really loved when we're insecure about that. Well, John understood that. I think God gave him a special insight about human behavior. And, and, and as much as we pour out our love for God like we just did in worship a moment ago, we sometimes fail on the other end of receiving love of really believing strongly that God loves us no matter what. And so John writes this letter to a church. And in this church are followers of Jesus. There are people who have placed their faith in the truth of who Jesus is. And he wants to remind them and to have them the kind of, and and let them experience the kind of security that he knows is possible to have when we are grounded in Christ. And so we come to the very end of the little epistle, the little letter of 1 John. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want you to open up to 1 John chapter 5. And this is the very end, the very end of this letter. And uh, starting at verse 13, he says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, that's his purpose. 
It, now, if, if you read that and you go back to the very beginning of the letter and you read it again with that in mind, that is his main purpose. He's writing to people who have placed their faith in Jesus as the eternal living son of God who died for their sins, who was rose, rose from the grave and provided the covering for their sin that they couldn't cover themselves, right? And so he says, now I'm writing this whole thing for one main purpose, that you'd be confident in your knowledge that you indeed are a child of God, forgiven of your sins, and you stand in the presence of God Almighty clean. So you can have confidence, not only that he loves you, but that you can approach God and that he will receive you without question, without question. So that is the purpose of the little book of First John. Now he goes on, he says, also in, in verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. This is the confidence. Now it's important here that we understand that we are not prideful, but confident. There's a difference, right? Well, it's not that we deserve to be loved by God, but there is a confidence knowing that our, our sin that kept us at arm's length from God, we were out of relationship with God because of our sin, we now can have confidence that that's taken care of. All right? It's not that we earned it. No, Jesus provided the forgiveness for our sins. We didn't. But but John wants us to know that you can have confidence in approaching God. So he's he's inviting us into that relationship. So so he's saying, don't be timid. In other words, go for the hug, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the the, uh, the musical, The King and I. There there's a, a scene in The King and I where the, the king he's on his throne and uh, his children walk into the room. And when they walk into the room, they walk into the room just like all other subjects. And in that culture, your head can't be higher than, than the king's head. And so they, they come in they're, and they're bowing and they come in and, and they stand and, and it's looked like they're very timid and everything. But then as soon as the king gives them the sign, they break ranks, they run to him and they just jump at him and he is just hugging them just like a bunch of puppies all over him, you know. And they're laughing and they're kind of squealing and he's hugging them and they're hugging him. And it just makes you feel so good. And that's kind of the picture that we have of us and God. It's that we know that we need to have this, this reverence before the almighty God creator of the universe. Without question, we, we, we stand there and we bow before him. And yet he invites us to come and I love that picture of just that running hug and you jump into his arms and he embraces you. You don't have to be afraid of God. There's no fear in perfect love. And so that perfect love gives God open arms and it allows us to have confidence to run into those open arms. So we can be confident now, he also says in, in verse uh, 14 and, and then through 17 that we that if anything we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 
Now, that's a very interesting scripture, isn't it? So we have this idea here that John is inviting us to come to God with confidence. And of course, you know, God is in heaven. We're here on planet Earth. We can't literally physically run into his open arms, but we do that through a vehicle called prayer. So we enter into God's presence and we mindfully start thinking about our relationship with God, that he is open to to loving us and to hearing us. And he invites us to talk with him. And that's what prayer is. It's this time when we can boldly come before God. We do that in a humble way, but also in a very confident way. And he says that, that if we ask anything according to his will. Now, what that, of course, means is that we're not going to ask anything that would be outside of what he would want for us. Right. So if we ask anything that's within those parameters, it says that he not only hears us, but he, he grants us that that prayer. So one of the best ways to pray that you know you're going to get answers from, and people say, well, I'm praying all the time, but I don't get any answers. Well, one of the best ways to get answers for your prayers is to pray what God would want you to pray. Does that make sense? Okay, it's kind of elementary, but it really makes sense that if you say, God, I, I really see in Scripture that this is the person that you want me to become. And so if we then could boldly come before God and said, God, you said in your word that I could become this kind of person. Will you grant that? Will you help me become that kind of person? Now, you have to keep in mind a couple of things. It is his will, and he wants you to become that, but he will start helping you to become that. All right? But it takes his work and your willingness to continue to cooperate with him. All right. I remember uh, at a certain point in my in my life, I, I realized that I was a little too little little too ego driven, a little too proud, and so I saw in Scripture that I was supposed to be humble. So I prayed for humility. Wow. Seemed like everything that I did for the next two years just turned to dust. I was, I was pretty confident in what I was doing in ministry and in life and, 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 and everything was just clicking on the, on the right track there. And, and, and I was going, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting good. I'm getting good here, you know, feeling pretty good about this stuff. And all of a sudden I, I realized that it was a little bit too much me and not enough Jesus. And so I start praying for humility and God says, oh, great. Okay. I will create a scenario where you can't be proud. And then you have to embrace that. And then you have to keep praying and thanking God for the opportunity, maybe to even fail. So now I know what it feels like. So be careful what you pray for, right? I mean, what do we know? We know that his spirit is to not just live in us, but to, to infiltrate every area of our life. And so we pray that God would help us to be more loving, more joyful, right? Love, joy, peace. Oh, God, help me to be an instrument of your peace. That I'll have this personal peace, but I'll also be able to maybe intercede and, and be the, the person who helps to create 
a peaceful environment. Patience. Oh, that's one you really want to pray for. You see, because when you pray God's will into your life, he wants to answer that and he will answer that. And, but keep in mind, practice makes perfect. And so he's going to give you an opportunity to be able to experience what you need in order to develop that characteristic in your life that he wants you to have. So a good exercise might be to look at that in Galatians, uh, uh, that through the spirit and say, God, these are attributes that I really want in my life and I need them. But I need you to help me process that. And that's why he also gives the church. Be bold. Ask a, 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 a family member or a friend to help you to develop that characteristic in your life. But the beautiful thing is that God says he will answer that prayer. He will. So that's just a, a little thing that John wants you to know, that if you pray according to his will, he will do it, right? Now, it goes on, it says this. Because we're talking about prayer, and one of the things that we pray about is for the salvation of people who don't know Jesus, right? We, we want that to happen. Now, it doesn't mean here in Scripture that if you pray for somebody's salvation, just poof, they're going to become a Christian, right? One of, the, one of the interesting things that happens is when we pray for someone else's salvation, I, when I was in youth ministry, I had a kid who came to our, our uh, Thursday night prayer meeting, and, and uh, so we were in a little circle here, and what we did is we kept a little box of uh, three-by-five cards of the prayer request that kids gave. And we had, we had a, a rule that that had to be, we would discern as a group, is this within the will of God, number one, okay? And then number two, then we, we stuck that in the thing, and then we made a covenant between us, and we said, okay, if God brings someone to mind, your mind, that, that you know needs salvation, there's a reason why it came to your mind. You know this person. I mean, and this one kid named Dave, he, he says, I want, I want Johnny to come to faith. I said, that's a great request. And then the group said, okay, Dave, what are you going to do? Are you willing to be a part of the solution? Right? I mean, Dave just kind of wanted God to zap this guy to become a Christian. But the, the kids in the group, they knew better. They said, well, you know, haven't we been taught that if we pray that we want God to do something that we have to be willing to be part of the, of the, the process to make it work. Just like our character is going to be transformed and changed. We've got to do the work right with God. And so these kids, they said, okay, Dave, we're going to pray not just for his salvation. We're going to pray that you have an opportunity to talk to this guy. Is that okay? You still want us to pray now? He says, yeah, Let's pray. Okay, so we prayed that Dave would have an opportunity to talk to John. The next week we came back to prayer meeting and we went to the three by five cards and we pulled out the prayers that hadn't been answered yet. And there it was. And so the kids asked the question, Dave, did you talk to John this week? No, I didn't, you know, didn't get opportunity. Blah, 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 right? Okay, do you still want us to pray? Yes. Well, that went on for a month. And at the end of a month, we pulled that card out again 
And he knew what was coming. And he still hadn't done anything. See, he didn't, he wanted something to happen, but he wasn't willing to do the work with God for the answer to come. And so we asked him one more time, Dave, do you still want us to pray that you will take the initiative and have the opportunity that you have because you know him and you see him regularly to invite him into a relationship with Jesus? And he said, take his name out of the box. That was a tough day. That was a tough day. See, because what he was saying is, I'm not willing to do the work to do what God wants me to do. And he left the youth group, mainly because he was embarrassed, but also because he wasn't willing to be obedient to what God was calling him to do. And it could have turned out so differently. Could have turned out way different. If he would have taken the initiative, the Spirit would have enlivened his talk, and maybe the, John would have come to faith. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what ever happened to John. I do know what happened to Dave. That's another story. But you see the principle here? The principle is clear. That if we ask according to God's will, he will make that happen. But we're a part of the process of the prayer. All right? Now, he goes on here, and this is very interesting, and it gets a little technical, so, so hang with me, and I'll try to stay within my time limits here. Uh, it says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I'll refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Now, that gets a little convoluted and confusing, right? So let's break this down. John wants us to know that God's will was for us concerning uh, prayer for someone who may be uh, committing a sin. So now in the Old Testament, in Judaism, there were um, well-recognized differences between two kinds of sin. One was called unconscious or unwitting sins. Uh, These were forgiven. Uh, They provided forgiveness for these during the annual sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But deliberate sins, deliberate sins for which sacrificial ritual provided no forgiveness could only be atoned for by the death of the sinner. So let me break this down here. John is saying you can't pray for someone to be forgiven who is unwilling to repent. Okay? I mean, God provided Jesus as the sacrifice for the sin of mankind. Again, we have to cooperate with the provision God gives in order to be experiencing the forgiveness that he offers, right? So if I'm praying, I'm praying, I always want to pray for someone to come to salvation, but that person is an individual who needs to respond to the the offer of forgiveness. So your prayer and my prayer can't make a person a Christian. We can do whatever we, we, we can in order to be able to enliven that conversation, right? But ultimately, God gives everyone the freedom to say yes or no, okay? Maybe you resisted for a time, 
when you were given the invitation to receive forgiveness. But he's saying here, there are people, there, there are people in your church who are sinning. And we're going to make a, 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 an assumption. And this assumption is a good one. It is, I'm going to assume the best of that person that they didn't intentionally do this sin. That it's something that they were, they were overcome by a situation. Maybe their flesh was so strong that they, they, they couldn't resist the temptation. But in their heart, in their mind, you assume and you know from their past behavior that when they realize what they've done, they will repent. Right? I mean, I, I would expect the best of everyone in this room right now that if you knew that you were doing something that was hurting somebody else or that you did something that was wrong, that you'd be, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Yes, of course I'll repent because a Christian doesn't live that way. And so there's, there's, this, there's this catalog of, of moments in your life where, yeah, you messed up, but you were trying to do the right thing, but unfortunately you did the wrong thing. But when you found out about it, you made it right. You confessed, okay? And you, you keep on being forgiven because you keep on living this confessional lifestyle. So John is reminding us that there are those moments when we need to be praying for people to have an aha moment, come back to faith in, in terms of confessing sin and all that. But there is a sin that he says leads to death. Now, I guess John would categorize these sins in his letter as those sins that lead to death. One would be denial that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Two would be refusal to obey God's commands. Three would be love of the world. Remember we talked about we love people but we don't love things. It's so easy to replace the love for God with other things and make idols of them and put them first place. And then fourth... Hatred of one's brother or one's fellow child of God, right? So those things, those things, uh, unrepentant sin in any of those areas leads to death. Now, by contrast, sins that do not lead to death are those where the sinner is overcome by a temptation and falls into a lifestyle or doing something that is wrong, but when they realize it, of course they repent. They repent. Now, in Luke 22, verse 32, we have an example of Jesus himself interceding for Peter when he denies Christ. Right? I don't even know Jesus. But Jesus forgives Peter and reinstates him and says, you're going to be a cornerstone, a leader in our church. Why? Because he knew that deep down Peter was committed. And that once confronted, that he would repent. So the early church uh, took the possibility that a person may sin beyond hope of redemption much more seriously, I think, than a lot of us do today. Okay? There are people, and Satan, believe it or not, actually loves to plant those kind of people in good churches. To try and create a scenario where they will, as much as they possibly think they can, pull others away from Christ. Those are the antichrists that we talked about earlier in the study of 1 John, right? People who are anti-Jesus. They don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He might be a good teacher, might be a good prophet, but he is not the one who provides the forgiveness of sin through his death and resurrection. So he's saying that where a person refuses adamantly to seek salvation and forgiveness, there is no, not really much of a point in praying for them. Because they've shown over and over and over again that they're anti-Christ. Now, that, that's a hard thing to deal with. I mean, Jesus talks about this in his ministry when he says, you know, don't, don't throw pearls in front of pigs. There is a point, and only God knows what that point is, where, where someone is set on their path of unrepentance. Now, I don't know what that one is, right? I don't know what that is. But John must have been much more intuitive than me in knowing who and who, who, who you should be praying for and who you just you can't pray for anymore. Now, I want, I want to, there's a fine line here. I still believe that until a person breathes their last breath, they still have the opportunity to repent. All right? We shouldn't give up on anyone. Some of you have, have family that maybe have gone astray. You keep on praying. But in your prayer, keep on engaging. Expect that hopefully they will, at some moment, repent and turn back to Jesus. Okay? But here, here's the deal. I, I think the bottom line in, in this theology of, you know, don't, you can't pray for someone who, who commits a sin that leads to death. There's, there's a couple of us, couple of scenarios here that we need to, to understand. One is, one is, there is a sin that leads to a natural result of physical death. Someone can go out and, and, and take too much alcohol into their system. Or take drugs and they take a car and they run it into a tree. And they die. That sin led to their physical death, right? That, that There is a sin, there are sins that lead to our physical demise. Once that person dies, you can't pray for their salvation anymore. Okay? It's done. So... John is saying you cannot pray for someone who is dead. Now, there are religions that say that you can. And the truth is you can't. That person's, that person's eternity has been sealed because the decision they made in this life, they did not make a decision for Christ. It's done. Number two, there's a sin that can, can lead to result of physical death as discipline from God. Now, this is, this is a... I don't know. It's interesting to, and it's hard to understand sometimes. But we see it in Scripture where, where God will actually take someone's life. This is a person who believes in Jesus, who has committed themselves to them. But in their life, they struggle so much with fleshly things that they wind up actually physically dying. And in, and in, in so doing, it's almost a... It's almost a blessing that they are gone now because they're not going to have to deal with that thing that was so overpowering in their life. 
and it distressed them so much. I had a friend who had a drug problem. Okay. Uh, oh, thank you so much. <clears throat> he had a drug problem and he, it, it just overwhelmed him. This was the, the one of the sweetest people you would ever want to meet on the planet. Uh, in his in his lucid moments, when he was able to control it, he was he was such a witness, such a testimony. He brought so many people to faith in Jesus. But that physical addiction was so strong that one time he overdosed and it took his life. We were so saddened by his passing. Well, at the same time, it, it sounds it sounds terrible to say it, but we were relieved for him that he did not have to have that struggle anymore. I know it, it's hard to, to communicate that sometimes because it sounds bad. But God is so loving, not willing that any should perish, that he did not want this brother to have to deal with that or risk that he would succumb and walk away from Jesus, right? Uh, you want to talk about that more? Uh, my, my office is always open, right? Um, it's hard. But John says you can't pray for that person anymore, right? Uh, he's, they're gone. They're gone. And, and so we have to give God room to be able to um, correct, even through death if necessary. But remember, God only acts out of love. There's justice and there's love. And we have to allow God to do that. Now, there's also number three here is there's a sin that leads to spiritual death. And what that means is there is, if there's a flagrant intentional sin that goes con- continually unconfessed and the person never repents of their sin and never trusts in Jesus as their Savior, you, you can't ask God to provide eternal life and salvation for a person who lives like that and dies because, again, their, their fate is sealed. Now, this, this all sounds so harsh. But what, what God is trying to tell us through John is that this is serious business. That we're talking about life and death. And not, and not just eternal life in terms of time, but eternal life in terms of quality of life here on this planet. And, and we, get, we get so concerned about sometimes the, the minutiae dealing with one issue that we forget a whole bunch of other issues. So I want to bring us back to, you know, th- this is hard to understand. Understand this. Keep praying for people who are not saved. But there are people who don't repent. Or there are people who continue in their sin even though they're not trying to sin. God will either discipline or he will take care of, of the judgment of those people. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. So we don't either. We don't judge. But if we pray for a person's salvation, let's get involved in that person's life. Okay? If a person is sinning and we know that they have a, really a good heart, but they're failing, or they're being tempted beyond what what they feel able to... to God says, I'll, I'll provide maybe assistance 
help so that you can overcome that sin, right? And that, that may be you, to get involved in somebody's life, help overcome that sin. But let's go back one more step and revisit the idea that God wants you to pray and anything that you ask, which is according to his will, his will for you, he will answer it, all right? And so we need to then continue that that submissive attitude to whatever he brings into our path to be able to become the kind of people that don't continue to sin. Now, 1 John 5, 18 and 19 says this, All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue. There's not this unrepentant attitude toward their sin. When they, when they realize they have sinned, they're, they're repentant. He says, The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We live in a, in a broken and fallen world that Satan actually controls. But we, as aliens in this world, are given the Spirit of God that helps to keep us living the way that we should. So 1 John 5, 20 and 21 says this, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him and and we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, keep yourself away from anything that's going to take God's place in your heart. Right? Whew. I don't know if you feel like I do. You, know, you finish this and you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's heavy. Uh, and, and it feels like a weight to bear. But know this. You take away anything from this today. Know this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If he died to save you from your sins, is he willing to do anything less to keep you safe? Or to help you become the person that he wants you to be? To experience the kind of life that he originally intended you to have? Yeah. Yeah. He loves you so much. So you don't have to pick a day. Maybe go pick a daisy day and say, He loves me. 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 Because that's what's true. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you that you uh, gave John the capacity to help us understand very clearly that there are those who love you and those who don't. Um, Those of us who love you, God, we thank you for the confidence that we can have. Reminders from John who says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Thank you, God, that we can know without a shadow of any doubt at all, that you love us and have forgiven us through Jesus' sacrifice. Thank you that we can come boldly before you and we can ask you to help us become the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling. 
we pray for opportunity for us to be able to not just intercede, but to become a part of their life. Help them to understand and maybe see the transformation that's happening in us so they can have hope that they can be transformed as well. God, we love you. We bless you. We, we depend on you. We're so thankful that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.